Hi, I'm Megan Cole, the host of Writing the Coast, the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is episode number four, and in this episode, you are going to hear a conversation that I had with author Monique Graysmith. Monique's uh, novella, Lucy and Lola, was nominated for the Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize uh, this year. This beautiful little book was paired with Richard Van Camp's book, When We Play Our Drums, They Sing. It was in a novella called The Journey Forward. It's a beautiful book. If you have children, know children, teach children, please, this should be on your reading list. It is so fantastic. Um, It is for adults and children alike and such a powerful story. In this episode, Monique and I also talk about her new novel, Tilly and the Crazy Eights, which is a fantastic book for adults, Um, great characters, such a fun road trip, and I just can't recommend this book enough. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Monique Graysmith. How are you, Monique? I'm very well, yes. Yeah, you had a good day? I had an awesome day. I got to go for a little massage today, and that was like, you know, a little time from mama is always a treat. <laughs> and you have two 15-year-old twins? Uh, they're now 16, oh, so we oh. have two learner, driver learners in our house as well. Oh my gosh, you needed that massage. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's away all week, so I'm single parenting it, and I leave on Monday for the East Coast, and so it's just kind of a busy time in our house. Oh my goodness, you have all of my respect. That's a lot to have on your plate. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Well, why don't um, we start off with just having you read something for us? Is that okay? Sure. So what I chose was near the very beginning of Tilly and the Crazy Apes, which is the last novel I've had to come out. And this novel really was medicine for me. Uh, When I wrote Speaking Our Truth, it took an incredible toll on me emotionally and spiritually. And so writing Tilly and the Crazy Eights was a way to heal from all of that Mm -hmm. and to really just get lost in characters that reflect the incredible resilience of our people and the joy that elders have and their way of reminding us of the history but also reminding us that we're here, we're vibrant, we're moving forward, right? Like, so it was good medicine for me. So the piece I'm reading is near the very beginning. And this first chapter is called Stitch and Bitch. And it's about six women who have been coming together every Thursday night for as long as they could remember to do some form of a craft. Initially, it was mostly beating, but as time has gone on and arthritis has kicked in, It's become more knitting, for example. And one of the women, Sarah, has come to the group. She's had cancer. And she's come to the group this night talking about how little she's done with her life. She's seen that movie, The Bucket List. And she's realized all the things she wished she'd have done. And the main one is dance at the world, well, we call it the World Powwow, but it's called the Gathering of Nations Powwow in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so one of the women says, we can make that happen. And so she's quite surprised. And so when we kick in here is when the elders have kind of been tossing around this idea, but they don't think it's going to happen because there's so many reasons for it not to happen. 
So here's the beginning with starting with Lucy. As Lucy's laughter subsided, the room grew quiet. The women were accustomed to unfulfilled dreams. So why would this time be different? Not Mabel, though. She looked down the table at each woman and knew this time had to be different. Leave it to me. I know just the person to call. Call for what? asked Rose. She'd already dismissed the idea as a possibility, thinking her point about one more driver had put an end to this ridiculous conversation. Didn't anyone hear me? Call for what? Sarah's head didn't move, but her eyes looked across to Mabel. This time Sarah didn't breathe. You mean to go to the powwow? It had been a long time since Mabel had been this certain of anything. She couldn't help it. A smile developed across her face. Yes, Sarah, to go to the powwow. As if orchestrated, all the women responded, Really? There was a slight pause before Mabel nodded. The women glanced around the table at each other. No one knew quite how to respond to what had just happened. This most certainly was not their usual stitch and bitch meeting. When one doesn't know what to do, they do what's familiar, what feels safe. For the elders, that was working. So they went back to working on their projects, each lost in a state of shock and disbelief. After a few minutes, Lucy piped up. So, if we're really going to do this, and since we're talking bucket lists, well, I'm just wondering, do you think we could stop in Vegas? Rose's tone rippled with judgment. Vegas? Yes, Vegas. You know I've always wanted to go to Las Vegas. Lucy's eyes roamed upward as if she was dreaming of something glorious. Mabel looked down the table at Lucy. I think a stop in Las Vegas is a great idea. Lucy raised her arm triumphantly. Yes. With one decision, the potential of dreams becoming reality swept into their January meeting like a warm summer breeze, and with it took the harshness of more than just the winter away. So that's from the first chapter and gives us a tee-up, really, for what the rest of the book is about. It gives such a wonderful taste of the fantastic characters in this book, too. (laughs) Oh, those characters, they were so fun. Were they inspired by people you knew or I Tilly seems like a call. I know she's a a callback to your first book, but were these women you knew? No, Mabel, two of the characters in Tilly and the Crazy Eights were in the first book, Tilly, a story of hope and resilience, Mabel and B. But the other ones came. I was very blessed. I received a, a grant from First People's Cultural Council in 2016. And my best friend and I, we did this road trip that they go on. And when we headed out uh, on the Anacortes Ferry, I had a bunch of stickies and I just put them on the minivan dashboard and started to develop the characters. And if I was driving, I'd be talking the story and Kelly would be typing it. And if she was driving, I'd be typing and working away. So a huge part of the story unfolded on that trip. And then it got shelved when I was writing Speaking Our Truth, which is why I say when I picked it up again. But many of the characters, you know, they, they, I would kind of outline them, but they really came to life for me in such powerful ways. And like Lucy, for example, there's aspects of her character that unfold later in the story that were not part of how I kind of designed her, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, what's so beautiful is these characters, you know, in novels, they come to life on their own. 
when we let them instead of saying, no, wait a minute, that's not what the sticky says. No, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it sounds like you were almost getting to know these characters as you were on your road trip. Totally, yes. And the road trip inspired many of the lines and the scenarios. And that's why I'm so grateful to First Peoples Cultural Council, because there's no way I could have written this book without that grant and to have done that trip. I heard the road trip didn't quite go as planned, though. No. <laughs> as we were coming out of Sedona and heading to Albuquerque, we hit a snowstorm. And we pulled into, sorry, we were heading to, yeah, to Albuquerque, so we pulled into Flagstaff, and it was like whiteout conditions. We left like almost the third week of April, so I took off our winter tires, because I'm thinking, we're heading to Arizona and New Mexico. Yeah. So we didn't get to Albuquerque for the powwow. <laughs> we had to head down to California, which was interesting because then all of a sudden there was this opportunity to actually include the redwoods and pieces in the story that might not have been included otherwise. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my mom and my aunt and my daughter had been to the powwow a couple of years earlier, so I had that frame of reference and how powerful it is. Yeah. But no, Kelly and I, we didn't get there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why did you decide to return to Tilly in this book, um, having written about her in your first book? I knew that this book was about to happen even before Tilly really started to sell. It was even before Tilly won the Bird Award. I just knew that the next thing was an adventure with elders on a road trip. And it was just a matter of how am I going to make that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I wanted to touch on it. We talked a little bit about your twins at the beginning, but there's twins come up in Tilly and the Crazy Eights, but of course they're also the two main characters in Lucy and Lola. Are Do your twins, are they must be inspiration for these characters a little bit. A little bit, and they're inspiration for me just in general. They are the greatest gift I've ever been blessed with, and and they have transformed my life, really. So it makes sense that they show up, the twins, and having multiple shows up in my life because it's part of my lived experience. And and they're very special to me. So it's like, you know, when I write about twins, it's sort of like an honoring of them and how important they are in, in our lives. Where did the inspiration for Lucy and Lola come from? Oh, Lucy and Lola... Uh, well, I, I don't want to name drop. <laughs> this is going <laughs> to sound odd. <laughs> but I was working at my office and my phone rang and it was Sheila Rogers. And she said, I want you to come down for lunch. And I'm like, I'm like, I was, I had my back in a corner for a government contract that was due like three days later or something. And I was way behind. There was no way I could take a day off and go to Gabriola Island for lunch. <laughs> And so I said, I can't, like, there's no way, Monique, you need to come for lunch. I'm like, Sheila, I cannot come for lunch. Monique, I have a guest, you need to come for lunch. I'm like, well, who's your guest? She said, Marie Sinclair. I was like, okay, my family and I will be there for lunch. (laughs) And he was there actually writing and doing the final edits on the 94 Calls to Action So this was a a time when his term as the chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was coming up. 
So we went down and we had a beautiful lunch, really powerful visiting. And one of my most poignant memories of that was that my son was sitting beside him and uh, now Senator Sinclair and my son were bantering back and forth and debating about whether the Toronto Blue Jays or the Boston Red Sox were the better baseball team. (laughs) And I remember kind of thinking, like, I wonder if my son has any idea who he's debating with. (laughs) But after lunch, we went for a walk down on the rocks. And these two girls came to me. And on our drive home, I was, you know, sharing with my family in the van about these two girls. And my daughter, Sadie, just started to talk more and kind of ask about each character. And she said, no, like, I think this one has this. And and uh, so we just talked about it a lot. And I came home and I started to kind of draft out some pieces. And the first edit I gave to her and she had all these different color pencil crayons and she marked it up with no, this isn't accurate, or this would be needed. And so she helped me with every single edit. And she actually gets a a portion of the royalties from each royalty check. Because at the time that we did this visit, she was 11. And then as the writing unfolded, uh, she turned 12. But her perspective was integral to the development of those characters and the reality of the story. So I always love being able to give her her royalty check. Now, being 16, she uses it for her fake eyelashes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, and I think that's part of why, you know, like my kids are, they're some of my first readers. Mm. Yeah. So you've worked with them on projects before? Jackson, well, I gave them both different chapters for Speaking Our Truth, and that was really helpful also, you know, when I could see them, putting pages down and going, no, no, nope. And, you know, one of the first feedback both of them gave me was it was too much like a textbook. And I was like, okay, the voice has to change then. And so, yes, I rely on them a lot. And I pay them, right, because they're giving me their own expertise and perspective. And in this world where finances is a form of reciprocity, and when you're a teenager, (laughs) I (laughs) Great form of reciprocity. <laughs> yeah. I, there were some really beautiful scenes in Lucy and Lola. And, and one of the moments I think I was really struck by was the moment when they meet Kate on the rocks uh, near their cuckums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I mean, that spoke to me as as a, a white woman who lives on, you know, First Nations territory. And I why did you include to decide to include that scene in particular? Mm. Well, I see Kate as sort of a woman in her late 50s, early 60s, who's been very involved in her community around being an ally. And I wanted to include that scene because I wanted the, especially older readers, to understand that we're always evolving and that sometimes our unconscious biases are exactly that unconscious, that we think we've done a lot of work and then something sneaks its way in. And so I wanted her to gently show that as a way for the reader to begin to go deeper, right? Like first it starts with the pug and the acknowledgement of the land. Mm. And then we get to Kate and it's a little bit deeper around the impact about the stereotypes of an indigenous woman, you know, going to the bar, preparing for the bar and her thinking, you know, the drinking bar. And it would have never crossed her mind that, you know, the young women, the young girls, mom is actually studying for the bar exam. 
So it was, it kind of leads the reader into deeper and deeper analysis around what does truth and reconciliation mean? What does it mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be witness to the healing that's unfolding? Mm -hmm. All of those pieces. And she's, you know, she's somebody that we see when we're at truth and reconciliation gatherings, you know, a woman of that age wearing yoga pants, clean hair, clean cut hair, you know, like... Mm sort of that look that is very common and I wanted it to be real. Mm-hmm. So that's why Kate showed up and she really allowed also for the girls and their cook come then to go to a deeper place also in their relationship that summer. I, I, I know you've talked about this before too, about um, this kind of both books have these trips, but there's also these characters are going through such a significant journey at the same time. And I just found that so interesting to watch, to read as I was turning the pages to watch these characters go through their own journey while they're on this trip as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Lucy and Lola, I think that time that summer with their cook on Gabriola is not only transformative for them, but also for their cook mm-hmm. and for their mom. Mm-hmm. Right to be studying for the bar and and yet still needing to connect with them, and then the elders. I mean, I just fell in love with all of them. Somebody, I always get asked, "Who's your favorite?" And I'm like, "Well, it depends on which day." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if I'm kind of in a tender place and it's Poncho, and if I'm a place where it's like, "Oh yeah, let's ruffle feathers," and it's Rose. You know, like there's always. It depends on the state that I'm in as to which one most resonates but I think part of why I love them is exactly your point Megan is that they're all they're evolving and they're real and in that it's really beautiful to witness their not unfolding but their to witness them is simply inspiring Mm -hmm. yeah and I can say that because I I feel like that's what happened when I was writing Tilly and the Crazy Eights was that I was seeing it unfold in front of me and I was just trying my best to capture it into text and to capture in text the feelings and the emotions of what I was seeing unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one, the one scene with um, with Tilly and Rob really, I think can, I connected to those feelings that she was, you know, discussing in that scene and how she was feeling in that moment it was I, I really liked that part many parts but that's that's yeah. one that I'm particularly <laughs> thinking of right now mm-hmm. yeah um I I also really thought it was powerful in both books um the way you wrote about ceremony and uh, from the smudging to the powwow itself why do you think it is so important to include these such vivid descriptions uh, in your books Hmm. That's a great question. Well, for me, I think it's because when we think to history, there's a couple of reasons. One, when we think to history that our ceremonies were illegal from 1885 to 1951, and then when they became illegal legal in 1951, it wasn't a public announcement. So ceremonies were really underground. And so the fact that we still have ceremony is remarkable and a huge testament to our ancestors. So for me, it's like I want to be part of continuing to bring those into the light and to not have what unfolds as secret, especially, I mean, there are ceremonies that I would never write about. 
but the ceremonies that I write about are ones that are public mm-hmm. that anybody could witness, you know, as long as they're in a good space, um, people could witness ceremony. So for me, that's part of why. Also, I think in these journeys that, you know, Lucy and Lowland, her, their cookham's been on and until in the crazy eights, ceremony is part of the healing and it's part of, you know, when we think about history and and all that has unfolded for many people, the cells within them are, are aren't perhaps not quite full or they're discombobulated. And ceremony helps complete those cells. Mm-hmm. And so if we have millions and millions of cells within us and they start to get completed, then how we show up in life and how we live is different. And I think that's part of what we see with these elders is they show us ways to live and to be in the world that is forgiving, that's kind, that's humorous, that's zestful. I mean, for me, I'm just like, if I could be like them when I'm that age, I will be grateful. (laughs) What What I think I'm so grateful for with your books, and there's, I mean, there's so many others, such wonderful books being written by Indigenous authors right now is, I think there's, there are, they play such a significant role in the reconciliation process. How, what do you, how do you see the role of books and writing in reconciliation? Mm, for me, and this is just where I'm at now, I think that my books play a role in the truth. Um, I guess I'm, I'm just a little leery around reconciliation at this point and around, you know, that we still have, just from this simple place, Megan, that we still have 100 communities without drinking water yeah. in this country that we call Canada, that, you know, I'm having a harder and harder time talking about reconciliation. So I see the books that I write being part of the truth. And so for me, that's my definition of reconciliation is making the invisible visible. Mm -hmm. And how I do that is through writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've talked about that before about, you know, we had we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and that, you know, we need both. We need the truth and the reconciliation. Mm hmm. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful for your work and, as I said, for so many others, because we do need the truth and um, <laughs> and for it to come in whatever way people will receive it is important. Yeah, and I think, like, my style reflects who I am as a human being. You know, I've been brought up to be gentle, and so my writing is gentle around the truth. And I think that, in many ways, my writing for people can be a door opener who haven't maybe heard the truth before. And then the path is open. I mean, there's so many incredible books out there that people can devour and read and understand the truth in many other ways. But sometimes people need a gentle way in before they can get to other hearts of the matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find that that gentle way in is especially necessary when writing for a younger audience? Yes, I think so. Yeah, which is also part of why I wrote Speaking the Truth, Speaking mm-hmm. Our Truth in the way that I did, because I wanted it to feel almost like I was having a conversation with the younger audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting, you know, because that book is marketed for 9 to 16-year-olds, but I really think Megan is for 9 to 90-year-olds. Yeah. 
because we have generations who did not grow up knowing Canada's history. And that was very clever planning on behalf of governments for that to unfold. But they're wanting to know now. And so they're asking lots of questions. And for me, in many ways, it is exciting times in our country. There is change happening. And um, as a parent and as an auntie, at times it doesn't feel like it's happening fast enough. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I have a million more questions for you, but <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we will uh, leave it there for this evening. Um, I hope I get to talk to you again soon. And again, thank you. I, I am so grateful for your beautiful books. Mm, thank you. Can I just do a shameless little plug? Absolutely. Please do. <laughs> Uh, in the fall, uh, with Orca Book Publishing, a new children's picture book is coming out. The illustrator, her name is Nicole Neardhart. Uh, she is she grew up in Santa Fe and is Navajo, and her illustrations are remarkable. And it's called When We Are Kind. And so the last page of that book says, when we are kind, we remember we are all related. Mm. And so I just, I just hope that people remember that, that we are, I think part of our duty at this time in this country is to be good relatives, Mm. be good relatives. So thank you very much for being a good relative to me and inviting me to share on your podcast Thanks for listening to another episode of Writing the Coast. I'm Megan Cole, your host, and thanks again to Monique Graysmith for joining me on the podcast. On our next episode, I will be discussing Vancouver for Beginners and We All Need to Eat with author Alex Leslie. If you would like to learn more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, please visit bcyukonbookprizes.com and I look forward to meeting you again on the podcast airways. Have a great week.